Father, may we not be led astray. May we know your word, meditate on your word. May it be the foundation of our choices, our relationships, the way in which we live. Teach us this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Once or twice a year, Aaron and I make a trip to the symphony. Typically, it's for a violin concerto. Uh, my wife plays the violin, um, but sometimes we'll hit something else, and recently we got to go and see the Dvorak cello concerto, uh, which is one of my wife's favorite pieces of all time, even though she doesn't play the cello. She loves that piece. And when we got there, uh, the concerto was the last uh, part of the program, and so there was a symphony at the beginning, and, and we're there, and typically we have seats that are the nosebleed seats. Uh, you are so close that you are looking up into the performers, because that's what we can afford. Um, however, in this one, it's such an important concert, and the ticket prices were pretty good, and I was able to get a spot that is at the same level as the symphony, and it's on the sides, and there's nobody in front of you. There's leg room. And we come in, we sit down, and I was telling her about these seats, and I was all excited about them. And we sit down, and like throughout the first half of the program, you know, three or four times, I would just lean over, and I'm like, aren't these awesome? I mean, like, there's room for your feet. There's not people right in front of you. You can see the whole symphony. I mean, aren't these awesome? I mean, these are great seats. These are amazing seats. Well, the middle, there's a break, and then we come back for the concerto. The uh, cellist comes out, he's got his cello, he sits down right here. We're right over there. The conductor walks out, and he is right here. <laughs> and he'd move, get excited, and we'd see the cellist, then he'd move right back, and we couldn't see him again. And you're doing this, and go, oh, there he is, we're doing this, we're doing this, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. um, and at one point, she leans over, and she goes, great seats. The center of that concert was that cellist. Everything about that last piece, it was that cellist. Um, everything on stage was supporting what he was doing. And yet, we could just only kind of see him. Um, in fact, even the sound, because the, the body of the conductor kept moving, and like even the sound, you would think, like, did I just lose something in that? That the very center of what everything was about we couldn't really see that well. What is the center of your life? What is the very center, the core? What is it that, that you look to when you are making decisions in life? What is it that you look to when you are in relationship with somebody and you're trying to figure out how do I relate to them? What is it that you look to when you were deciding to do this or to do that, to go here or to go there? When you're thinking about a job, what is it that's at the very center? We've spent four weeks studying Ecclesiastes. Three weeks, it was really about everything that will not bring us satisfaction. It was a life that starts 
from a foundation of gain. I am going to get something, and I'm going to find that happiness, I'm going to find that satisfaction, and I will do it through pleasure and possessions, through fame, through riches, and Kohelet's message is none of that will ever bring you what you are looking for. On the other hand, last week, there's a different position to start from, gift, that God has given much to us, and instead of starting out of, I must go do this, it is, I have received this, and now I live life in that way, and all of the simple ways that God has provided, but Kohelet's not done, because this whole book comes down to this chapter 12, where he wants to say, not only do you live out of gift, not only do you live out of the simple things that God has provided, but there is something else. Open up your Bible to Ecclesiastes 12. If you don't have one with you, there are some on the back table over there. You're welcome to go grab one of those. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, all of it brought to a conclusion. What is the very center of your life? Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. Remember also your creator. I want to stop right there before going any further because that is his command. Remember also your creator. I want to break it down a little bit. Back at the beginning, when we were in chapter 1, we talked about the connection of Ecclesiastes to Genesis. And that keeps going throughout the book. There are multiple connections to creation. And here it is again at the end. Remember the one who made you. You would not be here without him. Nothing here would be here without him. He is creator. You are not an autonomous being in a universe that has no purpose that you just happen to be here and you are floating around and there is no sense of anything moving forward. There is a creator. He says, remember that creator. But it's this word remember that is very significant. Right? You might think of, especially if you have little kids, you know, they have to learn things. My, my daughter has to remember how to spell a word. She has to remember her multiplication tables. There are things we're asking them to remember. This word is bigger than that. It is not a mental recall word only. This word says, what is it that is shaping who you are and how you live? What is the center? Jump back, if you have your Bible, to Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, sorry, just Deuteronomy in general. We're going to read the whole book. (laughs) No, I don't want Deuteronomy 18. That would not be what I want. I would be wrong. Um, Oh, my goodness. I lost my passage. You know what happens sometimes? Then I have to go look up my passage. And I'm going to talk about forgetfulness later, too. 
hmm, it is Deuteronomy 18, but that doesn't look like what I wanted to read um, at all. Like, yeah, I'm really kind of sad up here. And normally what I do is I would stall until I could find it. But if you look at Deuteronomy, it's a really big book. And to read through this whole book to find what I'm looking for would take a really long time. So I'm not going to stall. Um, I'm going to just have to wing this and tell you, um, which is really sad. It's a really profound passage. Um, Here's what the passage says. Do not forget what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not forget what he has done for you. Do not forget that he brought you into the land, not you. Remember what the Lord your God has done for you. It is a passage of identity that uses the same terminology. And what it is saying is, I'm not talking about just mentally recalling that he made things. That the idea of forgetting is when I go my own direction. The idea of forgetting God as creator, forgetting God's rules, forgetting what God has done, is when I take it and think it's all about me. That I have done all of these things. That I am this autonomous being that just gets to make my own decisions, and there's going to be no responsibility for it. I get to do what I want. Eight? All right. Deuteronomy 8. I was really close. We had 18. Oh, that won't help me either. That's Ecclesiastes 8. I'm a mess up here. Um, At the end of the service, if I don't give you a hug, it's because I woke up with a head cold, and I feel pretty awful, and so I'm really blurry this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. It's exactly what I wanted. Thank you, Dave Hamrick. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Remembering is bigger than mental recall. It's saying to you, everything you have, where did it come from? Everything you are, who made you? Don't forget that. Remember that he is the creator, that you are not alone, that he really is the center of who we are. In this way, back in the early 1600s, the Puritans who, and I'm not up here to say we should all become Puritans, and they had all of their own issues, but I want to talk about something that they had as an attitude. There's a group of Puritans 
that leave England and they go to Holland. This is in the early 1600s. And the reason that they go is because the center of their life is God and the worship of God. And what they are finding in England is they cannot raise their kids to worship God as they understand it. They can't do their own faith as they understand it. And so they move to Holland. But here's the thing. An entire colony, like I'm not talking about a family that got up and left. An entire colony that is so centered on trying to follow God that they're willing to move to Holland. Within a dozen years, the number of faith expressions that have grown and the, eco the economy at the time causes them to say, this is really bad for our kids. we got to move again. And they move to America. They take an entire colony to America, all for one purpose, to raise our children in the Lord. Now, again, right or wrong, I just want you to see their purpose. Right, this is one of the chroniclers that was recording some of the history who writes this. Um, and, and he writes this right as they're leaving. So they left the godly and pleasant city, which has been their resting place. But they knew that they were pilgrims and looked not much on those things, but lifted their eyes to the heavens, their dearest country, and quieted their spirits. The decision was won because God was at the center. The move, the attitude toward the move, the sacrifice of giving up what they had, all of it was worth it because the center was not what they wanted, but how they follow God and how their children follow God. And you see it in their architecture. In New Haven, one of the famous Puritan cities, the city is built around a big central area in order to have community. So all your homes and your businesses, they're all on the outskirts, and they center. And you know what sits right at the center of that? The church. That literally and symbolically, God sat at the center of their lives. That is the idea of remember also your creator. You are not alone. You were made by someone for someone. Make all of your decisions around God being here. Why? He gives two reasons. Look back at Ecclesiastes 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Because we're all going to get old and die. That's what this section is. What he's going to say is you need to remember your creator because you cannot stop time. You are going to age and, everybody agree with this? It's going to go faster and faster the older you get. Right? And he begins to describe symbolically, and there are a number of different interpretations of this. One of the oldest is what I'm going to give. Right? So just walk with me in here. Literal things that have symbolic meaning. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, all of that is Genesis 1 language. And the, moon, and the clouds return after the rain. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, I have known a number of older folks who have tremors in their hands. 
The strong men are bent. The grinders' teeth cease because they are few. Those who look through the window are dimmed. Eyesight. And just let me ask you as you're growing older, how's your sight? How are your teeth? How are your muscles? How's it all going? That's what he's describing. But he's not done. The doors on the street are shut, probably a loss of hearing. And you can see it. He says, the sound of grinding is low, and one rises at the sound of the bird. Isn't that awful? You can't hear as well, but you also wake up to every little sound. That's not fair. (laughs) And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid of also what is high. Terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. Have you ever seen an almond tree? They're white. They blossom quickly. Um, Perhaps it is hair. The grasshopper drags itself along. You ever feel like you're just dragging yourself? And desire fails, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets, here's another image, before the silver cord is snapped and the bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern. Death, before it's over, before it's gone, because it's moving that direction. And everybody in this room, you are moving that direction. And the dust returns to the earth. There's our Genesis again. As it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Right? There's his, he brings it back. Right? Remember your creator. Put him at the center of who you are. All your decisions, all your relationships, everything you're doing, God at the center. Number one, because you're going to go back to him. You're on a slow trek right now towards death. And when you die, you're going to return to that creator. What are you going to tell him about your life? And we are moving that direction. I mean... I am, at this point, I'll turn 42 in like two weeks. So I am kind of probably mid of this congregation toward the lower. Uh, but probably mid. I got people younger than me, people older than me. But here's my experience. When I turned 30, my metabolism started laughing at me. <laughs> it let me know you can no longer eat like you did when you were 20. And if you do, you're going to have to exercise really hard to get rid of that. When I was 35, every time I like bumped myself, it seemed like it took twice as long to heal, for that bruise to go away. Little by little, when I was 40, memory. Boy, memory is just going. And I'm only 40. I'm afraid for how it's going. I mean, this is, and I'll give you an example. Um, we had a vestry meeting recently. And following the vestry meeting, one of the vestry members, Richard Cole, came up to me, and he said, can we meet? I just, I want to talk. I said, sure, that'd be great. And so I pull out my phone. He goes, where do you want to meet? We can meet somewhere on here. I said, how about Panera? And so I start typing in Panera, and then I went to type in his name. 
and I could not remember his name. <laughs> he's standing right in front of me. I've known him for years. I've done discipleship groups with him. He's been on vestry, and I'm going, I don't know his name. But I can't just say, like, hey, pal, you know, because we've known each other too long. And I can't put that in here anyway. Pal, I'm eating pal at Panera. <laughs> but, like, does that happen? I mean, you're, it just, it's gone, and you can't get it. And, and don't worry, pal, I remember your name now. <laughs> Last night, Chris Lipper and I ran into each other at Kroger. And Chris says, is your sermon done? And I said, well, it's almost. I'm just, it's those final touches. I'm still thinking through things. And, um, and he goes, you are so good at just finding these illustrations. I bet you could look around the grocery store and just like find something. I'm, I'm amazed you can drive to church and it becomes a major illustration, something you just saw there. I wish I could do that. I walk out going, I'm really good. <laughs> I really do come up with great illustrations. I get behind the, the wheel of the van and I get ready to take off. I'm like, I am so observant. I ran into a shopping cart. <laughs> I am really starting to lose it. That's what he's describing. Age starts to take its toll. And he says, as you move toward that, the best thing you can do is make your creator the center of your life, of everything you are. The oldest World War II veteran in America turns 109 tomorrow. His name is Richard, and he lives in Austin. And Richard is an anomaly. Most people don't live to be 109, especially when they smoke 12 cigars a day and drink whiskey in their coffee. Wow. That's what he does daily. He is an anomaly. And they've interviewed him every year. You can go back and find articles on him as he's 107, 108. Now he's turning 109. And they say, how did you live so long? And he says, that's up to God. I don't control that. God's determining that. But even this guy who has defied what we are used to, he still said this. I feel happy that I've made it. I know I can't make it another 109, so I'm satisfied with this one. Even a guy who's lived this long knows you get one shot and you're going back to your creator. There is no reincarnation. There is no do-overs. This is it right here. Remember your creator. Put him at the center because you've got one life and you're going to go back to him and it's going to move faster and faster it's going to get more and more challenging physically. Remember your creator as you move toward meeting him again. And then there's a second reason. Verse 8. Uh, fleeting, fleeting, says the preacher. All is fleeting. Um, it's a better translation for this point because it's life and it's fleeting. Verse 9. Besides being wise... Kohelet also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with care. Somebody else is writing now. They are reflecting on what Kohelet did. Kohelet sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, 
They are the things that make the animal go the direction that they're supposed to go. They are like nails firmly fixed, our collected sayings. They are solid. You can rest on these things. You can live out of these things. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. It is amazing how much at times people just want to keep studying the newest thing, the most deep thing, the oldest thing, and just keep going without actually just practicing something. It will wear you down. Take the scripture as your foundation and live it. Then he comes. Verse 13, the end of the matter, and it's very abrupt in Hebrew. End of the matter. It's not like, there's no introduction to this. It's like, okay, it's time to stop. That's what he does. Here's the end of everything we've just done. Our last five weeks, the 12 chapters before this, all of it comes to this point. And it is one of the reasons why. Remember your creator. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. Respect your creator. Hold him in the awe that he deserves. Recognize who he is, what he has done. Fear God in a symbolic kind of awe sense, but also in a legitimate, he's the creator of the universe. Anybody when you were growing up, did you have this mixture with your dad where you knew your dad loved you and he could be gentle with you, but he'd also scare you? There was a legitimate fear when dad raised his voice. Fear God. Both things. And obey his commandments. Here's the reason why. This is the whole duty of man. And there is an extra word in there that is a good translation, but it is an extra word. In Hebrew, it says, for this is the whole of humanity. The duty part is not there. Again, it's a good translation. It's getting a point across. But I want you to see something. All of humanity comes down to that. As a human being, you were created to fear God and obey him. You were created in a relationship. You were not created to be this being that could just go off here and do whatever you want. You were created to literally have him at the center of who you are. Remember Genesis chapter 1, you're made in the image of God. You are most fully human when you are fearing God and obeying him because you are most like him and that's what you were created to be. See, his point at the end, you can search all you want for the pleasures and for the riches and for all of those things, but they're going to let you down at some point. But there is something you don't have to actually search for. You were created this way. You were made in the image of God to be like him, and you will find the most fulfillment in your life when you are most like him because you're living out your very creation made in the image of God. 
Recently, there was a guy, uh, Carlos Pettigrew. He was at a teacher conference meeting for his kids. Got a call on his cell phone. A, a call that if you're a parent here, and even if you're not a parent, you'll recognize this. You would just never, ever want this call. The call was his daughter saying to him, the house is on fire. And then the phone went dead. So Carlos jumped in his car, I mean, just ran out of this meeting, jumped in his car, and drove as fast as he could to get back home. And he describes the images in his head of like, are my kids trapped in the house? Are they on fire? What is going on? And he doesn't know, so he's just racing. And as he is racing there, he hits a curb, blows two tires, and flips his car. Crashes upside down on the sidewalk, and you see a picture of it. He crawls out, drags himself out of the car. He is bruised and bleeding, and he runs the rest of the way to his house to get to his kids. One of the sad parts is they weren't actually in the house. They were next door. They had called from a neighbor's house, which is good, but, I mean, this poor guy, while he's trying to get to him, but the phone had died before he could hear that. And he gets back there, and they do this interview with him and everything, and his daughter calls him superhero dad. These were his words. I didn't do anything a father wouldn't do. That's what it means to be a dad. I mean, as much as he did, and as heroic as it may look, and this guy's like, I've got to get there no matter what, and I'm bleeding on the street, and I'm running to get to my kids. That's just being a dad. And at that point, you don't look for, you know, put something on my chest as being a great dad. Um, I, don't need a, I don't need a medal. The fact that I got my kids secure is all I need. That in and of itself is all the gratitude and the satisfaction I need. Same thing is true in this passage. We are made in the image of God. When we are fearing him and living out his ways, when he is at the center of our lives, we will be human as we were created. We will be everything he wants from us. And we won't need the possessions, the riches, the alcohol, the drugs, all these other things that we are trying to find value in because we'll have it as we were intended to be, made in the image of God. That's Kohelet's message. You want lasting satisfaction? Live your life out of a sense of gift of what God has done. Embrace the simple things, friendships, a good meal, a hot cup of coffee on a cold morning, your spouse. But while you're doing it, put at the very center of your life, your family, God, and put everything else around that. Make it go through that so that you are fearing God and obeying his commandments and living out being made in his image. There's a church downtown called the Cathedral Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I'm glad our name is not quite that long. 
really big, and it's right next to the Meyerson Symphony Center. This church, the, the cornerstone was laid in 1898, and the, the priest who was part of this, who was kind of heading up, getting this church built, his name was Father Jarrett. Uh, I told you, my brain is fried. Um, I'm not going to Anyway, he was a well-respected priest, I mean, by government officials in Dallas, by organizations in Dallas, and he's building this church. In 1899, there was a smallpox epidemic in Dallas. And the way they handled it is they made, they had a pest house. A pest house was a big place, big building, where you forced all people that had contagious diseases, along with their families, to go live in. No medical care, nothing. There was one on Main Street downtown. February 11th, 1899, there was a terrible ice storm in Dallas. This pest house was six miles from the church. Well, what was the church? It wasn't built yet. It was being built. This priest had gotten word that somebody was dying in the house. He walked through the ice six miles, went into the pest house, and did last rites for this lady that was dying. Nobody was going into this house. Doctors weren't going into this house. Police officers, they were just rounding people up and putting them in there. In fact, if you traveled from another town and they knew that town had an outbreak, they were catching people coming in and putting them in pest houses. He would die that year from smallpox. He would catch it. Now, I don't care what you think about last rites. I don't care what you think about Catholicism. I don't care what you think about any of those things. That man had at the center of his life God. And whatever his duty was to follow God, that was first in his life, including giving his life for somebody in the parish. That is putting it at the center. Now, here's the thing. Go down there right now. Take the walk on Flora Street towards the Meyer Symphony Center. This church, it looks like a little toy building. Because around it, is Museum Tower, Chase Tower, um, all these gigantic, beautiful skyscrapers. They're angles you can't even see the church anymore because it's been surrounded by these giant buildings, most of them built in the last dozen to 20 years. But when it was built, it was a center point. Not anymore. All these buildings have been built up around it. They're hiding it. They take precedence over it. Here's what I would say for all of us as we leave Ecclesiastes. Maybe you are out there and you have never had God really at the center of your life. It's just never been that way. Go put God at the center of your life. You've tried everything else. How's it working? How satisfied are you? How happy are you? How is life going? When you're trying to do it on your terms, making your decisions, 
for you. But I don't think that's a whole bunch of us. I think many of you are probably where I am. You've had God at the center of your life at times. You were like that church back in 1902 when it actually was completed, where it was the center of something, where people could see it. And then over time, you have built skyscrapers around it. Over time, you have decided that this actually is more important. And and this over here, this is a little bit more important. And this thing over here is a little bit more important. And you have built up things to obscure what used to be the center of your life. It's still there. You just need some demolition of all of these things that have taken its place. It is the only way you will ever find true, lasting satisfaction. Because you were made that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so easy to get distracted in life. It's so easy to let things that we can't control, things that we are afraid of, things that we believe will bring meaning to us, to allow those things to overwhelm having you at the center of who we are. Making our decisions with you first. Lord, please show us. Show us the skyscrapers we have built. Show us the ways that we have gotten in the way of you truly being the center, remembering our creator to whom we are going to return, that we might know the abundant life that our Lord Jesus Christ said can be ours. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.